But welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My friends, love you all. So grateful for you. Um, God is good. God is good. Hey, I love that I don't even have to, like, I don't even mean that. Like, I don't mean for you guys to call and respond in those moments, but you do, and that's awesome. <laughs> love you guys. Um, so, uh, we're going to continue on in our faith series, our by faith series, and uh, I'm going to try to keep it, I'm going to try my best to keep it a little shorter today uh, so we can get to the potluck sooner. Um, but, uh, so I'm just going to jump right in. So, we're in our fourth week of by faith, and um, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of what we're walking through slowly, each figure in the hall of faith. Um, so, uh, we're in Hebrews 11, chapter 7, and today we're going to talk about Noah. Okay, so uh, we'll have it on the screen, or if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to just, just be reading verse 7 this morning. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And then we're going to read Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 through 8, just a bit of backstory from Genesis. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you'd like to read uh, the whole Noah story, uh, you know, Genesis chapter 6 through 9, I'd encourage you to read that this week if you uh, are a little bit unfamiliar, maybe. So this is the flood story. Um, this is Noah building the ark, right? And so... Right off the top here, I just want to make our main point that we are called to put our faith to work. We're called to put our faith to work. And so in reading through Hebrews 11 and then preaching this, it like all kind of clicked for me just this week in preparing this. How insane the, the Bible story is. How insane this story is in that you know, our first week we talked about Abel. And if you remember, um, Abel's, like, by faith experience was that his heart was really given over to God in faith. And it was his worship, right? It was his worship that, as, as he's a hero of the faith because of his heart for God and his worship of God. And so we started with that. And then last week, right, we talked about Enoch and that he walked with God. And how important it is that we walk on his path that he sets for us in hand with him. We're not trying to tell him, hey, this is what I've created. You need to come over here to what I'm doing and bless my route, right? No, we're saying we want to go walk hand in hand where, where he's going. Amen? Amen? Okay, so Abel teaches us that it has to start in the heart and our worship of God. And then after that, we walk with God. And only after that do we put our faith to work. It has to go in that order. If we try to work for God first, if we, are, we try to put our faith to work without our heart or without a walk with him, what's going to happen? 
we're going to start working in the wrong direction. And we're going to crash and burn every single time. And so the genius of the Hebrew writer, and what's crazy is that he's just writing in chronological order, but what God is laying out in Scripture is the order of how we are to have a relationship with him. It's got to start with the heart, and then he desires that we would walk with him, and then we put that faith into our work for him, our work with him. We work towards promises that he set with us. But we can't mix that order up. Again, it's really important that we understand that, right? Work cannot come before worship. It can't come before the heart. For our belief that God is who he says he is to mean anything, then we have to apply this principle to our life. Heart, walk, work. Worship, walk, work. Okay? Noah believed... Right? I love this. Uh, this um, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, chapter, or verse 8 in chapter 6, right? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because of his faith. Because of his faith in God, that he hadn't lost the faith because his heart was still intact. It says that God looked over all the earth, right? And the heart of man was corrupted, except for one. Except for one. Noah. Noah. And, you know, we see the same principle of faith in action, faith in our work, in James chapter 2. And it's a very famous passage that you've probably heard before, right? Faith without works is dead. And I want to read this passage just really quickly here. This is out of James chapter 2. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by an action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And I want to make something very clear in this moment, right? As we're talking about faith without deeds... So for a very long time in my life, I tried to work towards my approval for God. You hear what I'm saying? I tried to figure that, like, well, my effort is going to somehow earn God's love. But that's because my worship and my walk came after. I thought that my works, right, would somehow 
uh, make God's heart for me grow, and in the process, my walk would then grow. But that is not how it works. It's not effort-based, okay? We work from a place of faith. We work from a place that says, God, you have asked me to do something, and you have promised that I will see something if I do this. And you are holding my hand, guiding me through this process as well. You're not just expecting me to go figure it out, and then someday I might get a pat on the head. That's not what's being said here. Are you guys tracking with me what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me the difference here? It's so important that we understand that this is not about earning something. It's not working off a debt that we have, right? We work for the joy of being a co-laborer with Christ. We work for that joy because God invites us in and he believes in us and he empowers us to go do it. So we go do it with joy. We do it in awe that God would even ask us to do such a thing. You hear what I'm saying? All right, church. So, question, how do we put our faith to work? Well, the first thing that we see Noah do is that we work towards God's promises. We work towards God's promises. And Noah had to work toward two different promises here. He knew that a flood is coming. Okay, so that immediately was the first promise. That was promised. A flood is coming, and everything's going to get wiped out. So that's promise number one that he had to live in. Promise number two is that if you do this, you and your family will be spared. If you build this ark, you and your family will be spared, and I will be able to have a plan to restore humanity. Two separate promises. If Noah had camped in just that first promise that a flood was coming, what good would it have done? He still would have drowned, right? He still would have drowned. He could have gone around door to door, knocked on the door, and he could have told every single person, hey, a flood's coming. And great, you know, like, he could have done that. But again, he and his family still would have drowned, right? He had to follow through with both. He had to believe that a flood is coming, and that understanding had to kick into gear a work ethic towards a promise that nobody else believed in him. So he had to build this boat when everybody else around him was jeering at him, was mocking him, was saying, what in the world are you doing? It had never rained up to that point. Do you get that? You know how crazy that is? It had never rained. And so for the first time in history, rain was coming. So when Noah's like, it's going to rain, they're like, what are you even talking about? That's not even a thing. That's never happened before. So it was completely foreign to them. The whole concept of water coming down from the sky. And when you read, it came up from the depths of the earth. That's even crazier to think about. So from both directions, water is coming. And it came fast. It came fast. There was no hope. In that moment, if you weren't ready, you know, once the rain started, it was well already way, way too late. And today we have a similar, we have a similar promise. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, guys. Just as the flood was coming, and because that flood was coming, because 
the heart of mankind was corrupt and evil, man, guys, it feels like mankind's heart is getting more and more corrupt and more and more evil in our day as well, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And the pull on those of us who desire to walk with God, the pull to join what the rest of mankind is doing is getting greater and greater as well, isn't it? There's more and more opportunity to put aside what we know God has called us to in favor of what everybody else is doing. Right? Yes. So what we live in today is not that different. It's just more of us are in the know. Noah was the only one promised in those days, and so he put to work. We are promised that Jesus is coming again. We are promised that the world will continue to spiral. It's not going to get better, guys. It's not going to get better. Christians on paper lose on the earth. You hear me? On paper, it looks like we lose. That's not the story, is it? That's not the story. And so by faith, we work towards the promises of God, towards the call that he has on our life. We work towards the promises that we are, uh, he will equip us and he will be with us as we go, as we go and share the gospel of Christ. Our mission statement here at Village Church is that we exist to share our stories with Christ so that others can have their own story with him. Do you know what that means, that we do that? It's not just so that somebody else can experience good things in their life and not so they can experience like the warmth of Jesus' love. It's so that they can be spared from the penalty of death and hell that is due every single one of us. It's due every single one of us without Jesus. And so we don't just share our stories with Christ of how he saved us, how he's transformed our lives, just so they can have a better life here. It's so that they can be part of the promise to come, that there is more, there is greater, and there is eternity at wait. Do you hear me, church? Yes. We're living in the same kind of days. It's not much different. It's just there's a lot of us in on the promise. There's a lot of us in on the promise now. And I'm going to tell you, maybe you're here today and you know that God has told you that something is coming in your life personally. Maybe you're here today and you know you have this feeling that something is going to change. There's change coming in your life. And maybe you feel a big change is in your future. Or maybe you feel like difficulty is coming your way. Sometimes, have you ever experienced that before? Raise your hand. Have you experienced that before? Where you just know something's coming. Something, there's, there's change on the horizon. I don't know what it's going to be necessarily, but I know it's, it's coming. Let me tell you, I think that, um, I believe very strongly that the Holy Spirit provides us with a lot more insight about what's to come than we give him credit for. I believe that he gives us those inklings. He gives us those gut responses to things. He allows us to latch on to certain events or ideas of what's to come because he's trying to prepare us and he's telling us, hey, something's coming and there's work to be done. <clears throat> Something in your life is coming, a change is coming and there is work to be done for you to be ready for that change. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. My wife and I... Um, 
I've shared this a lot, but uh, my wife and I, would, when we uh, were ready to move out here, well, we weren't ready for a while. It took a year and a half of us sitting in like wonder, knowing something is changing. Something is, is something's coming. I don't know what it was. Um, you know, I, I talked to my mother-in-law, Jane, who's my mother-in-law, and uh, I talked to her during that time, and she gave this really important insight that I've shared many times with other people. And she just said, sometimes in those transition seasons, God lifts grace from you, so it gets harder on purpose. You know, and it's like eagles. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about how eagles get their, um, I don't know if it's eaglets, chicks, whatever, their baby eagles to get out of the nest. But um, they purposely make the nest more uncomfortable so the chick won't want to stay in there. So otherwise, they're just going to chill in that nest forever. Right? They're getting fed. It's comfortable. Like, why would they leave? So in, in, on purpose, they put sticks so it, like, pokes into them so there's no place that's comfortable anymore, and they want to get out of there. Right? I think God does the same thing for us. I think God does the same thing. He prepares us for change. He lifts the grace so it's maybe not as easy as it once was. Maybe things don't make sense as, as, as they once did. Right? And that's not a bad thing necessarily. It just means that, hey, a change is coming, and he's asking us to fix our eyes on him because everything suddenly doesn't make sense anymore. And the only thing that we can do in those moments, or the only thing that we should do, right, is grasp the hand of the God that we're on the path with already. We don't go, oh man, I don't know what's happening, and then let go, and then try over fear and figure it out, right? We grasp the hand. We, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, we cling to the leg, right? And we just go along for the ride as he's walking, you know? Like, that's what we do. I don't know what is going on, God. I don't know what's coming, but everything suddenly is different except for you. You're the only one that has not changed in my life at this point. You're the only one that's remaining the same. So I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to cling to you with everything that I have. That is our proper response. And in those moments, in that season, as we're moving forward, he calls us to grow. He calls us to more. Sometimes that more is just look to me and be with me and learn who I am in a greater depth than you ever have before. It doesn't necessarily mean that we got to go start running a marathon. It doesn't mean that we got to go start taking classes or we got to memorize books of the Bible. It means know me more, my child. Amen. Know who I am more because you're going to need to know me at a greater depth than you ever have before in order to get through this next part. But I'm right here. I'm right here. He doesn't, he's not going to withhold his revelation from us of who he is. He's not going to do that, but we have to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to accept that revelation. Amen? Amen. We have to. If Noah would have ignored that, we'd all be underwater. None of us would be here today. But Noah had to know God to a greater degree than he ever did before to build that boat. He had to trust God with every, every hammer thrown. Every time he saw down a tree and everybody was making fun of him, he had to trust God in a greater and greater depth. That is what this transition does for us. We work towards God's promises. He promises us more. He promises us greater depth. He promises us greater understanding with him. He promises a deeper walk. He does that for every single one of you. And if you believe anything different, I'm telling you right now, that's a lie that you're believing. He has promised greater he has promised deeper. 
He's promised it. But we have a role. Amen? Amen. Amen. So first, we have to work towards the promises of God. And secondly, we stay faithful. We stay faithful. We stay faithful even when no one else is. Right? Noah was the only one. What would have happened, right, if he had lost his faith along with everybody else? Done. Mankind over. But because of Noah's faith, we're here today. You understand how crazy that is? Because of his faith, we are here today. Because of Noah. <laughs> imperfect Noah, right? Because of imperfect Noah, but because of his faith, we are here, right? Genesis 6, 8 again. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I was thinking about this idea of, of having to remain faithful and what that really means and how many examples we have in Scripture of what that really looks like. And, you know, I, I thought of uh, in Mark 9, the demon-possessed boy, right? And, and uh, the father's faith, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, it wasn't the boy's faith that got him delivered. Whose faith was it? It was the father's faith for the boy. I believe that you can do this, Jesus, even when my son can't. Even when my son doesn't is, is unable to believe these things, I am standing in the gap for my son so that he might find healing and deliverance and salvation for you. It was the father's faith. In Mark 2, right, the paralyzed man, one of my favorite stories, lowered through the roof, right? It says Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't just a paralyzed man. It was every. It was the friends lowering their buddy down from that roof. It was their faith that this is the only option our friend has left. So we're going to carry him. We're going to dig out that roof, and we're going to lower him down there. And that great faith that Jesus saw in that moment, it was because of their faith that he was healed. His sins were forgiven first, and then he was able to walk. It was because of their faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Then, right, Mark 5 Jairus' daughter. She's assumed dead. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. That's what he says to Jairus. And then, and then after that, right, he goes to where the girl is, and the, the crowd is in there. They're mourning and they're wailing, as was their tradition, right? And so some of those people, I guarantee, were doing it just because it was tradition. You hear me? Some of those people in that room weren't necessarily wailing because they felt grief. It was because this is what we're supposed to do in the situation. And they just had gone along with the status quo. This is what we're supposed to do, so I guess we'll do that. And what does Jesus do? He shows up and he says, hey, she's just asleep. And they all mock him. They all laugh and jeer. Say, what are you talking about? See how crazy it is that you, that's how we know that that was fake mourning. Because nobody can just go from wailing to ha-ha-ha and mocking somebody in one moment. It wasn't even real. And what does Jesus do? He kicks them all out. He's in that room, just him and that girl. He says, Talitha Kum, and she wakes up. Talitha Kum, wake up. She gets up. So just, so get this, just as our faith can stand in the gap for somebody else, what did that crowd do? They lacked faith. 
And so our faith for someone else means that we get to be present and, and we get to be um, in on the miracle for them when it comes. When the promise comes over them, when God's desire comes for them, right? And when they finally open up and things change and they see the transformation, right? That's through oftentimes our faith, our unending faith for that person. We get to be in on the miracle. We get to experience that miracle. I know some of you here, you believed when nobody else believed. Maybe it was your child. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a family member. And you saw breakthrough in some way. Right? You got to be in on that. That crowd didn't get to be in on the miracle. That miracle was done in private. They missed out. Our faith gives us an invitation to witness the miraculous in our lives and in others' lives. Our lack of faith does the opposite. It means we're uninvited. means Jesus may tell us, you don't get to be part of this. Go. What side do you want to be on, church? Faith or no faith? Faith. Right? It's only by faith that we will see breakthrough. Even when it seems impossible. Even when it seems every single doctor or every single person in your life, every counselor, whoever it is, even when every single one of them says it's impossible, it can't happen, there's no way we keep the faith. We keep the faith. It's by faith that we'll see the miracle. Amen? Amen. It's by faith. So we stay faithful. We stay faithful. Guys, to see the kingdom move forward, and we want to see the kingdom move forward. That's what we're here for. That's what this church is here for, right? In order to see the kingdom move forward, we have to work towards what God has promised, even if we're the only one willing. If we want to see transformation happen, then we have got to work towards what God has promised, even if we're the only one willing to do it. Even if we're the only one willing to do it, even if every single other person has walked away, said it's too hard, or chosen another path. You know, today is a Volunteer Sunday, and, um, you know, uh, to see the kingdom move forward, we need volunteers. We need volunteers here at Village Church. Volunteers are the backbone of what makes this church possible. I, there's no way I could do even a fraction of this on my own, guys. Like, no chance. It's because of every person that volunteers and says, I want to be part of this and I believe in this and I know God has called me to this to see his promises come to fruition in this community and this world as well through Village Church, right? That's what makes this possible. We need workers willing to exercise their faith on behalf of those without faith at times. We are called to that in this room and often for people we don't even know in this community in this region at large, it's our faith that might be standing in the gap for someone who has lost theirs. We have to be workers willing to work towards promises that others believe they may, may never see fulfilled. So we have to believe for them at times. You know, Abraham didn't see descendants as numerous as the stars, did he? But he was promised that. Moses didn't see the promised land. And think of how much work that guy put in. 
how much grumbling he dealt with. <laughs> you know? How unappreciated he was by the people he was leading at times, right? And he never got to see the promised land. But he didn't give up. He stayed faithful toward what was promised. Many prophets actually saw a decline in people's faith in their lifetimes. You know, one of my favorite stories is the prophet Nahum. Um, so if you read Nahum, it's just his prophecy against Nineveh. What's going to happen in Nineveh? Well, nothing changed. He prophesied, he told them as fiercely as he possibly could, and he did it out of love and because God asked him to. So by faith he went, and God, he knew that God was promising more for Nineveh. So he went and he delivered that message, and it fell on completely deaf ears. And then what happens? 150 years later, Jonah shows up. He's dragged, essentially, right? He's got to be forced onto the land by a, mouth, a fish spitting him out of his mouth, right? He's forced there. He grumbles. He's racist against the Ninevites. He hates those people, right? But through Jonah, the promise that was given to Nahum was fulfilled. Because Nahum didn't lose his faith. He moved forward. And he spoke the words. And he worked towards a promise that he never was going to see fulfilled. But someone 150 years later did see that. And Nineveh was radically transformed. Nineveh was radically transformed. So I want to just leave with a couple questions. Are you willing to work in faith today? Are you willing to put, put your work towards what God has promised you and others? Are you willing to carry faith for others? You know, our kids' ministry and our youth group, right, are prime examples of that we may never see the fruit of our labors in those kids. We may never, ever see it. And sometimes we might even see a decline. But I want to tell you that I was one of those kids. That I had teachers that poured into me, gave those Bible lessons. And I'll tell you, like, I took for granted for a long time the fact that I grew up in a church and I went to a Christian school because, like, I just, those Bible stories are in me, right? And I never even think about it. It's just they're in me because I've told them so many times over and over again. But why do I have that now as a pastor? Why do I have that deep well of scriptural knowledge? It's because of the faithfulness of those teachers when I was a kid who oftentimes I would, would be willing to bet, and I don't blame them a bit, that they were thinking, this is a waste of time on this kid. Like this kid's a punk and he's not paying attention and he's laughing in the corner and he's talking and he's being a distraction, right? Like I was that kid for a long time. I was the punk kid. I made my youth leader cry because I was so mean to her. Me, right? Like, but it was. But I stand here today on the shoulders of so many other people's faith. And lives have been changed I know through me, and that's not me saying, like, good job, Cody. It's just I know God has used me. And I'm so grateful that he's used me in spite of all my nonsense, right? All my brokenness. But he has. He's used me. I'm so grateful for that. But I would not be here today without so many countless others who put their faith towards a promise in my life that they would never even see fulfilled. I don't even know who most of those people are anymore. I don't think they know who I am anymore. 
but I'm here because of them. We have the opportunity to do the same. So we don't take lightly, you know, our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. Those are two of the absolute most important ministries we have. They are vital. They are absolutely vital to the kingdom, to this community, to so many families. So many of these kids will never, never have another exposure to the gospel except while they're at Village Church. Do you understand that? And so that's why we're doing this today. That's why Volunteer Sunday is, um, is a thing, <laughs> because we need, we need people to volunteer. And I'm so grateful for so many of you that do volunteer. You know, it means that we're able to do this, right? But we need more. We always need more. We need to ready ourselves. If God is going to bring more to us, then we need to ready ourselves for that. And we're believing, we have to believe by faith that God has more for Village Church. I believe wholeheartedly he does. That he has more for Village Church. This community is growing. So guess what? Village Church is probably going to grow, but it'll only grow if God sees fit to bring them here. And if we refuse to get ready, if we refuse, if we say like, well, this is as much as we can handle, so whatever. And if we just stop caring, guess what? Why would God entrust somebody to us? Why would God entrust someone who's broken and lost and needs Jesus to us? He won't. So we have got to ready ourselves. Yes, do we only need maybe uh, 30 volunteers total for, for kids ministry in this season of our life? Yeah. But if we want to see more people come in, then we should probably have 40. Or 45. And you know what that means? It means that instead of 30 people sharing that load, now it's 45 people sharing that load. And that's pretty excellent. That's a pretty awesome thing. We have volunteers at this church who spend most of their Sundays in kids' ministry. Most of their Sundays in kids' ministry. And so they miss out on this experience. But it's because they're faithful. And because they believe in those kids. And they believe in the promises that God has whispered over those children. It's because of them. It's the same thing for our youth group. The, we've said this many times, but the majority of our youth group are kids not from this church. And their parents are non-believers completely. Parents have never stepped foot in our church. That's a rare thing for a youth group to be 80%, you know, from non-Christian families. That's a mission field, guys. That's a mission field. And we right now have three incredibly faithful people that run that, that youth group every week, every Sunday after church from 2 to 4. You think that's easy? No. <laughs> no, no. So they need some help. And so church, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, would you consider partnering, not just to be a warm body, but would you partner in faith to see the promises of God come to fruition in people's lives? asking. We're going to have time after this to, uh, to sign up. Um, we're going to be, uh, each uh, ministry is going to be giving a little bit of a, just a pitch out, out while we're eating uh, over the microphone, and then we're going to have um, opportunity for signups at that time. But uh, just encourage you, please stick around. Even if you didn't, again, if you didn't bring anything to eat, it doesn't matter. It's fine. We have food. It'll be okay. We want you to stay and eat. Please just stick around at least for fellowship 
and to hear uh, the hearts of the leaders of these ministries. Would you do that for me? Well, let me pray. Let me pray, and we'll uh, we'll do some worship. Father, thank you so much for for your work in our lives, God. Um, so often, I'm I'm struck by what I know that you do, but God, in this moment, we just give you credit and praise and glory for the million things that you do for us every day that we will never know, maybe until heaven. You do so much for us that we will never understand. God, we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for your love, for your care for us. Thank you that you you have promises that we can cling to. Thank you that you are a God of promises, and you are a faithful God to fulfill those promises. God, we're so grateful for that. You don't have to do that. You are worthy of our praise regardless if you do anything for us. You are worthy of our adoration and worship just because you are you. But God, you do so much for us, so much good, so many things, God, and we love you for that, and we're so grateful. So God, we give you our faith today. We give you our faith, and we walk forward in that faith. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.